You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Before I get into uh, the sermon, I just want to take a minute and recognize uh, one of our volunteers. Calvary only runs um, because of its volunteers, because of the core group of people uh, who do so much. And there's one person I want to recognize, Christine Taylor. You've probably seen her down, uh, if you're a new family, down at Children's. But she's been a deaconess for seven years. Ever since I came here, she came on, and she tirelessly uh, helped to manage uh, the building and the finances, and she's done so much work in so many different areas um, that we couldn't have done it without her. And so she is stepping back uh, from that position as deaconess so she can focus on children's ministry and the other areas that she gives. But I just want to take a uh, minute and thank her, and hopefully when you see her downstairs or wherever, you can thank her uh, for her time and because she's just been such a blessing for me to work with and the rest of the team. We are in our last message in this series. If you have a study guide, we only made, I think, a couple hundred of them. So maybe you didn't get one if you came later on. But if you did, you can open it to chapter 5. All the references we're going to go through are there today. There's places for you to fill in the blanks, um, all the main points. And hopefully it will help engage you, keep you focused on the message uh, so you don't um, watch the birds out the window or think about your lunch or fall asleep sometimes happens when I speak too much. So I encourage you to pick those up, open that up to chapter 5. We were last week looking at debt, the bondage that debt brings, that the Bible has nothing positive to say about debt. And now we're talking about the opposite, generosity, and how the Bible has so much to say about generosity. Debt, the Bible says, leads to bondage, uh, but the release from bondage is through generosity. And the main three points I'm going to be hitting and building upon through this message, you can write them down uh, in your study guide, uh, because you're going to see them all intertwined. You can write them down if you want. One is this, uh, that there is a direct correlation, we see, between a person's intimacy with God and their generosity. That the closer they are to the heart of God, the more generous they tend to be. Number two, that uh, the spirit of generosity frees people from bondage, financial bondage, mental bondage, uh, bondage from anxiety. All sorts of bondage is released when a person is generous with their life. And number three, a spirit of generosity fulfills the greatest commandment. And we hammer the greatest commandment in lots at this church. It is this in Matthew 22. Jesus asked, was asked, what's the greatest commandment that I should follow? And he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. There, this is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we're going to see that throughout our sermon today. So let's just take a moment and pray. Lord, uh, we lift up our time to you. We're talking about money. God, and for a lot of us Canadians, our money is our stuff, and you don't dare talk to me about my money. Talk to me about anything but money. 
And by God, I'm not talking about money. You're talking about money. I didn't make these things up. You made these things up. And so, Lord, I know we all have areas, myself included, that I needed to bring in line with your instruction, your way of uh, living in this world. And so I pray you would help us all to, to take a humble uh, look at how you would like us to live and what things are captivating our minds and intoxicating our minds and keeping us from the freedom that is in Christ. Help me, a simple, simple person, to proclaim your truth. Amen. So if you have a Bible, there's a Bible guaranteed in front of you, uh, pick it up. And open it to John chapter 12. That's where that's the main text. We're going to do a case study today. We're going to get a very psychological. We're going to look at two different people. And we're going to find that in John chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. If you don't own a Bible, take that one in front of you and keep it and use it and mark it up and write notes to yourself and underline lots of things. John chapter 12, verses 1 to 6. And we'll read it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So they hosted a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Then Mary took a pint of expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. And at the house... And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was, who was going to betray him, asked, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to take from it what was put in it. There are three people I want you to focus in on in this text. There's lots of different uh, people at this event that took place. There's the uh, Martha, who is the faithful servant, doing what Martha's always doing, always serving people. But let's ignore her. There's Lazarus. He's reclining at the table on some pillows. But let's ignore him. There's the disciples who are, you know, doing whatever. But let's ignore them. Let's focus in on Jesus, the master. Let's focus in on Mary, the servant of God. And let's focus in on Judas, who serves Satan. Let's study these three and see what we can find out. The first thing we see about Judas is some clear information as to why Judas goes and betrays Jesus. Judas is selfish, just like his master. Jesus... Uh, equated Judas to the devil. In John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus says this when he's talking to his 12 disciples. Have, you, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking about Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Going back to Sermon 1, when we talked about Jesus making that clear uh, plumb line that you can't serve both him and money, that he has to be number one, we see here clearly that Judas's number one, Judas's master, is Satan. And by proxy, his servant, he is, his master is money. He just doesn't know that he's actually serving 
Satan. But Jesus tells us clearly that you are like your father, Satan. Mary, on the other hand, is completely different. Uh, Judas is selfish. Mary is generous. The devil is selfish, and God is generous. Mary is just like her master, Jesus. That's why she freely gives $300, a 300-day wage gift to Jesus, because it's like nothing to her. It's not that it doesn't have value. It doesn't have value in comparison to what she has in Jesus. Her generosity overflows out of her love for her master. And see, the closer, we're all moving closer to one of the two. We're either moving closer to the kingdom of darkness, closer to Satan, whether we know it or not, or we're moving closer to Christ, our master. One takes, one gives. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says this, the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Notice the wording. John equates Judas to being a thief. Jesus equates Satan to being a thief. Satan comes, often disguised through wealth, through the love of wealth, to steal people's joy and their their freedom, to kill their, their passion for following after Christ, and to destroy their lives. How many lives do we know that have been destroyed by the love of money? And yet, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. God is a generous God. Satan is a selfish angel. And so we're born selfish. It's easy to be selfish. It's not hard, right? We're born into this world. Our parents are sinful. The world is broken. We are born into a sinful world. It's easy. It's our natural. It's our norm. We can see that right from a baby coming out. A baby is focused on self, and we understand that. They want food. Uh, But let them get a year or two old, and what do you see in a toddler days? How often do you see toddlers walk up to another toddler and say, I'd love for you to play with this toy that I really love, and I'd love to sit and watch you enjoy it? No. Anyone that's had children know that. Children will fight over things, right? They're naturally selfish. Training a child to be generous takes cultivation. It takes work. It's not natural. It's not normal for that child. And so it's easy. The world is selfish. That's why we see so much destruction and evil and hardship and pain when we turn on the news. It comes out of selfishness. But God isn't a selfish God. He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself for us all, Romans 8, 38. God is a giving God. And, and the most giving people in the world, you know, there's some... There's some people that aren't Christians that are very giving, but it's not the norm. The most giving people in the world tend to be Christians, tend to be closer people that are really close to the heart of God. Not just Christian by name, and they go to church, and they go through the motions, but the people who love and follow Jesus Christ. You have to understand, in Rome, the norm was only for the rich to give. That was the norm. Poor people, middle class people, they didn't give to charity. That was not the way it was. But the expectation, if you gave as a rich person in the Roman Empire, is that you'd get something back. You'd get a kickback of some sort. You'd get a position. You'd get a deal of some sort. That was 
charity in the Roman Empire. And then Christ came along, who gave, who taught his disciples uh, to look at their neighbors as themselves, to love other people as themselves. And that turned the Roman Empire upside down. There had been nothing that was ever like this in the world. That's why no matter how much they were persecuted, the Christians didn't give up. And when people saw the love of these people who were being persecuted, this is what turned the Roman Empire upside down. These generous giving people that didn't unleash hatred on those people who were hurting them, but loved them regardless. Looking back over the last 2,000 years, like there's not even debating the fact that the world changed for the better because of Christians. Those who are close to the heart of Christ have done some of the greatest things that this world has seen. Look at the, uh, the Christians that lived in the 3rd century when Rome uh, had a horrible plague. We're talking a plague way worse than the one we just went through. And people were dying by the thousands, by the 10,000s. People were just dying in the streets. Family members were pushing people out into the streets in Rome. And the only people that history records were taking these people in to care for them, often at their own lives' expense, were the Christians. And so in the third century, when this sort of love and generosity uh, was happening after that great plague, so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ, which is what eventually brought the Roman Empire to become a Christian nation. Look at the people who started the hospitals. You know, hospitals were started by Christians. And there were places that you could come to and get free care. There's where hospitals came from. Look at the people who started up the first orphanages in England, the Mueller's, uh, who took these street kids who society says, whatever, I don't care, and would use and abuse and stick in workhouses. Christians did that. Look at the people who set up the addiction centers like Teen Challenge to care for and to donate their time and money to take care of addicts. Christians did that. Look at the people who set up most of the food kitchens, most of the food banks. They're run by Christians. History can say, oh, the world would be a better place without Christians, but that's just not what it says. Go to a place where there is no religion. Go to a communist country. Go to Russia. Go to China. Go to North Korea, and you see what a place is like without Christ. No, history very much teaches us that those that are the heart, close to the heart of God are those who love like Christ. And it's interesting when I was researching for this, uh, this series to look at just how as we've moved away from Christ as a nation, as the world has moved away from Christ, at least the Western world, we have become a much less generous group of people. You might think, oh, secular people, unbelievers, they give lots of money too. Sorry. Statistically speaking, not true. You want to look at a good research uh, project that was done, look at the Fraser in- uh, Research Institute, a secular institute, who researched in 2018 all the givings to charity by Canadians and Americans and compared them. It's right on the internet. You can look at it for free. They report that as of 2018, one out of every five Canadians gave to charity in some sort. That's according to the CRA. So only one of every five gave some amount of money to a charity. Now, out of that, if you were to average out what, those, uh, what the average amount that those one f- out of every five gave, it would be 0.54% of their income. So just over half a percent of their income they gave to charity would be the average. Then look at when they uh, take it to what 
people who identify as Christians in Canada donate. That's an average of 2.43% of their income. But then take a look at what those who would describe themselves as evangelicals. That would mean people who believe the Bible and that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's an average of 4% of their income that they give. But it's been decreasing over the last 70 years. Our American brothers and sisters, sorry to say, are much more generous than us Canadians. And we might not think that be true, but it's true if you look at this study. It's the most comprehensive study done in the last 10 years. Americans, according to the IRS, the average American who gives something, the average would be $13,272 a year. The average Canadian who gives is $1,869 a year. A substantial difference. And even the most giving province in Canada, which is Alberta, doesn't give as much as the least giving state, which is Hawaii. That's pretty interesting to think about. So statistically, we are wealthier than we've ever been. More people own their own houses than they ever have. More people are in the stock market than they ever have. More people have retirement funds than they ever have. But we are giving less and less and less to charity, period. And the majority of the givers are those who identify as Christians. That's why you go to a country like Russia, and they still have street children, and they still have places where retirement homes where old people go, and they starve, and they live in filth and squalor. Because in a place where there is no God, there is no generosity or very little of it. And so how is it that we've become less generous as we become more prosperous? Could it be that as we've uh, moved towards more towards an atheistic, evolutionary perspective on life, that we just evolve from some ooze and, and really there is no truth and there is no right, there is no creator, uh, that one of the tenets of evolution is that the, only the strong are meant to survive and the weak should perish for the betterment of the species? Could it be that we are becoming less and less Generous? Probably so. But what we see from Mary, what we learn from this case study of Mary and Judas, is that true generosity gives without expecting anything in return. That is generosity, Christian way, the Christ way. But what is the amazing thing is that when the Christian gives without expecting anything in return, God gets excited and God responds and gives back to that Christian. Sometimes it's wealth, but what he promises is spiritual prosperity. He gives more of himself to the Christian who is generous. Like, look at Mary. She is remembered through history. She will be remembered forever and ever. In heaven, the angels will not talk about Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk's and their rocket ships, that won't even be a discussion. But Mary, her generous gift, will be remembered thousands and ten thousands and millions and billions of years from now. Why did she give so generously? Why was she the way she was? Why would she give a gift worth 300 days wages? Well, you have to go back a chapter to see. In John chapter 11, I don't have time to read the whole chapter, She got a gift. Her brother, Lazarus, was dead. Dead physically. And Jesus brought him back to life. 
And so not only did he assure her that he could bring him back to life now, but he assured her that when she left this earth, as we all will, he would be with her, she would be with him in eternity. So Mary's life had been radically changed. Now money was insignificant, inconsequential to what she had been given by Jesus. And so she gave freely to her master because he was far more valuable than the money. And see, what I've learned in my 15 years of being a Christian, as I've, I've been around a lot of unbelievers and I've been around a lot of different types of Christians. When I say types of Christians, I mean there's Christians that just go to church and really there's, there's, there's nothing really different from them and an unbeliever besides the fact that they go to church. And then I've been around Christians who are like really different. They're like Jesus. They like smell like Jesus. They like act like Jesus. There's something intoxicating about them. As I've been around that, I've, those different types of people, I've seen that the closer a person is to Christ, the more generous they tend to be with their time, their talents, and treasures. The more they realize what they've been given by Jesus, that they see their own sin, that they've been saved, not somebody else's sin, but their sin has been forgiven, and that Christ has given them all the gifts of their life, they're the kind of people that really have the heart of God. They're the kind of people that tend to be the most generous. They're the kind of people that I love to be around because they're the kind of people who are fulfilling the greatest commandment, loving God with all their heart and loving other people as themselves. That was Mary. But Judas was not concerned with the poor. He was concerned with himself, himself. And we tend to justify our selfishness by focusing on what others do and don't do. Isn't that true? We're like, well, so many Christians are hypocrites, so then I don't really need to do what they're doing. Because look, this is what Christianity is, and so I'll just be like everyone else, right? But that's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus called us to be. He said, regardless of what everyone else does, you follow me. And so... Your generosity towards God and other people just demonstrates just how grateful you are for what God has given you. Like, did you wake up this morning, Christian? Did you wake up and say, wow, God, thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I walked out of bed on my own. Thank you that I slept in a soft bed last night. Thank you that I have food to eat. Thank you that I have air to breathe. Thank you that I can come to a church and not worry about getting killed. Like, did you realize that everything given to you was from God? James says this, James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Did you realize that, Christian? Because those who get up and look at life like that, there's something about them that just wants to give back that joy to other people. When I was learning about Christian giving, I remember hearing a pastor talk about how there's three different levels of generosity we see in the Bible. And it's true. If you look at it, you know, it's not like you just automatically move from level one to two and to three, but there are different levels or different kinds of it. A level one the Bible teaches is giving back to God. Therefore, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, time, finances, talents, so on and so forth, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, so we don't need to go into depth about it. 
Malachi 3, bring your full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon measure. That's like entry-level generosity, being generous back to God. That's what God seems to say throughout the Bible. Level two is offerings. And sometimes in Christianese lingo, you'd hear like offerings to God. But really offerings is often to people, human beings, helping other people. You're offering what you have to help them, to further the kingdom, to meet the needs, uh, uh, the valid needs of humanity. So an example of that is we as a church, we want to help feed the people who don't have food in this neighborhood or in in this town. And so we would used to get people coming and we'd give out gift cards uh, to the grocery store. But we realized that uh, people were actually taking them and selling them for stuff, fill in the blank, and that this wasn't really stewarding God's money well, and it wasn't really meeting the need. And so what we decided to do was we have some great volunteers who cook meals, and then we freeze them, and when people come, we give them food to eat. We want to help them. And there's a lot of you who help a lot of people. I know this. I hear about things. I hear things uh, when you don't think I do. And there's some of you that are extremely generous to loving your neighbor as yourself. And God sees that. And here's the amazing thing. Uh, Like God makes these promises. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25. One person freely gives, yet gains more. Another person withholds what is right only to become poor. Notice that. One person gives freely, gets more from who? God. Another person withholds what is right, meaning right in the eyes of God, and only becomes poor. A generous person, it goes on to say, will be enriched. And the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. And I've witnessed this uh, as I've spent my time getting to know Christians. And it's something you really can only experience if you actually do it. It's not like test driving a car where I'm going to test drive a Honda and a, and a, and a Mitsubishi and a, and a Mercedes. I'm going to decide which one I like. It's like God says, do this, and you'll see what happens. Most people don't do it. Most Christians aren't generous, uh, at least in the way that the Bible talks about it. Uh, but it's this weird thing that God's going to show the world, hey, 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 when people are sold out to me, I'm going to give them more. It may not be more financially, but it's always more than what a person has given. It's often the supernatural joy of the Holy Spirit. But we tend to think like the world thinks. I read about this missionary um, who, her name was Eunice Pike. She worked for 40 years with the Indians in southwestern Mexico. And she discovered a difference from their culture from the way she grew up as a Christian in in southern states. She said, for instance, uh, people seldom wish someone well amongst those people. Not only that, but they're hesitant to teach each other things or share good news, including the gospel, with other people because uh, they come from a culture that believes there is only a certain amount of good. So if you ask a baker, how did you learn how to bake? He will say, "Uh, well, I just acquired the knowledge, meaning nobody taught me because in order for somebody to teach me, they would have to give something up. Uh, Nobody there or very few people want to teach other people things because they think if they give something to someone else, they'll lose something for themselves. Uh, She found that often people only have one child because they believe if they have a second child, they have to love the first child less in order to give that child some of that love. See, they think there's only a certain amount of love. 
if they don't wish somebody well, because they believe if they wish somebody well, the cosmos will take some of their wellness and give it to others. And this is kind of the way the world thinks and often the way that Christians think. Well, me first, and if I take away from me, then I'll have less. God says, no, a generous person gives and then I take care of them. Christ who has unlimited resources. And so the lie is from Satan. But Christ says the opposite. So level one is giving back to God. Level two is giving to other people. And then there's this third uh, level, which I never really saw before until I was taught it. It's called radical generosity. David did it when he gave like billions of dollars in, in that day's currency towards the construction of the temple. Hezekiah did it when he gave a womp load of money to restore the temple. Mary's doing it right now with this gift of like 300 days income. And we see it in another place, the widow. Mark chapter 12, I'll paint the scene for you. Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And he's often taught in the temple. And there's all these rich people, it says. And they're bringing their bags of money. And they got all their nice bling on. And they're, they're, they're dropping it. And everyone's, woo, look at that rich people. All the young people are like, I want to be like that guy. Look at that celebrity. Oh, he's so cool. Look at all the money he has. He's so great and holy. And this is happening. But there's something else happening in the scene. And nobody really notices except Jesus. There's this old lady. She's, called, she's a widow. She's probably uh, in rags. She's, she's probably pretty scruffy looking, nothing glamorous about her. And she gives like two loonies in our day's currency, two mites. It's like nothing, inconsequential compared to what those guys gave. But she catches the eyes of Jesus. And he says in verse 43, summoning his disciples, he said to them, he's like, hey, hey, guys, come here. Stop looking at the rich people. Come here. Take a look at this lady. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. For she gave out of her sur- she, for they gave out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put everything in she had, all she had to live on. She is radical in her generosity. And, and this only happens when a person is moved by God. And this is only something we see out of a really deep love of God. God moves them towards to do something, and they do it. And it's radical, and it's different. And so we can't say a person's generosity is based on how much they give. A better gauge of a person's generosity is the amount in relation to their income. That's a really better gauge of a person's generosity, right? If you want to look at their time even, right? If a person's got a womp of time and yet they give no time to the things of God, hmm, they're not really generous with their time, right? But if a person's really busy, like in the prime of their life and they've got kids and they're, and they're working, you know, they're still giving to God, well, they're pretty generous with their time. There's a story I heard about Alexander the Great, uh, The story goes that one day Alexander the Great was going through on his steed on a city that he had just conquered, uh, this famous horse he used to ride, and there was a beggar just sitting on the corner, and beggars just lay there, and everyone knew what they wanted, just like we know who's begging, right, when we see them at the intersections. And so the man was poor and wretched, it says, no claim upon the ruler, no right to lift his solicitous hand, yet the emperor threw down several gold coins at his feet. 
Uh, one of his men, astonished with his generosity, commented, Sir, copper coins would have adequately met the beggar's need. Why did you give gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion, Copper coins suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. And we would say, oh, impressive, Alexander. You gave him some gold coins. But yet we understand that Alexander was the richest man in the world at the time. A couple of gold coins wasn't even a drop in the bucket. It wasn't even nearly to the generosity of the widow or of Mary. And you might think, well, the wealthier a person is, the more likely they are to be generous. Not so. This is the lure of money that Jesus warns over and over about. A 2015 Share Faith article, I couldn't find anything newer than 2015, uh, reported that a person who has a $20,000 income, 20 grand, is what they make in a year, is eight times more likely to give than a person with a $75,000 income. Not like make you like, what? 20 grand? They're eight times more likely to give to charity than a person with 75 grand? It's the allure of money. It's the lie of money. Uh, if I just get to 100,000, then I'll, then I'll be generous. Uh, just 120, just pay off my house. Just get that new car, right? And, and, and yet a person who learns to be content with very little is often much more generous. And so the widow's giving touched the heart of Jesus. It isn't that the rich guys did anything bad. No, they was good. They were obedient. Yeah, level one, good job. But there was this supernatural generosity, this supernatural faith that touched the heart of Jesus. And Hebrews 11 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that's, I think, what was going on. Jesus makes this promise. There's a lot of reasons why Christians don't ever, there's like, you know, we see these different Christians and there's some that are just like, ah, they don't seem to have the love of Jesus in them. Well, Jesus, God is pretty clear. He says, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you seek me with all your heart. And it seems like this woman was seeking God with all her heart, believing that even though she was giving everything she had, God would look after her. It's radical. And yet she seemed to receive something. People who tend to focus on amassing as much wealth as they can do it so they can feel secure. Yet according to Ecclesiastes 5.10, Seldom ever brings them peace. Let me read it. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. The one who loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is futile. Mary was free. Mary was free. She was free from the worry of death. Like so many Christians I meet now, oh, I just need to live a little bit longer because I'm so afraid to die. She was free. She knew what was going to happen. The king of the universe decided when she was going to die. And you and I have to remember, Christians, you're not going to die any sooner than God has determined for you to die. So stop being so afraid of death. She was free from anxiety about money. She was willing to give because she knew God would look after her. She was generous. So many Christians are, were so full of anxiety about money and how will I pay my bills? Christ will look after us. She was free from the opinions of everyone else. Loudmouth Judas spoke up. Well, why didn't she just sell it and give it to, to the poor? She didn't care about the opinions of other people. And we are so f- 
worried about the opinions and what will people think of me if I follow Jesus Christ radically. She was free. And yet Judas was in bondage. Greed was his prison. Worry about money in the future brought him constant anxiety. He wanted to be liked by everyone, and that's why he said what he said, so that everyone would look at him and say, oh, Judas, you're so wise. But Jesus saw through it. She was free. He was in bondage. And I hope over the last five weeks, you've been able to take a good look and hopefully pray about and talk about where are you when it comes to money? Who is your master? We've just dipped our feet into the ocean of biblical finances. And I hope you're intrigued and you want to look at what God has to say because you want to bring your life in line with with the way he wants you to live. And if you're wanting to dive deeper into this, um, at the end of next month in our spring uh, courses where we want to go deep with you after small groups end, uh, I'll be teaching a class called the Total Money Makeover, looking at at a a curriculum that Dave Ramsey has made who taught me a lot about... uh, financial security, the biblical way. We'll be teaching us how to build budgets that actually work and to pay off debts. You got a bunch of debts, we'll show you how to pay it off, how to invest for the future, how to invest for your retirement, how to become generous. We'll go all through of that and you'll be in a classroom if anyone does sign up. Um, We'll be in a classroom together, but it'll be totally confidential. No one will know what your financial situation is like. And so Pastor Dustin and Pastor Mark, they're going to be coming up in the next few weeks and telling you about their courses that they're going to be learning. But that's the one that I'm going to be offering for any of you that want to take this deeper in the more practical laying out a plan and getting ahead of this stuff. So let's pray and then we'll be on our way. Well, God, I thank you for this series. I hope it was a benefit, Lord. I pray that you would, yeah, just... Help the brothers and sisters in whatever areas are controlling their life. Anything that is not you controlling their life. God, we've all got areas. We all have blind spots. And for some of us, it can only be you that will show us. Only you can give us the desire to change. So I pray that those in need of help or just a little bit of encouragement would come and receive that. So, God, we can be like the Christians, obviously, are in in North Korea, and like the Christians were in the first century, something different, something that makes the world stop and take notice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming, and I will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.